Sometimes when you walk into church or walk back into church, you look around and you see all the smiling faces and all the happiness and everything. And you think to yourself, man, all these people look so hopeful and happy and like they have their life all together. If they only knew what I was carrying around, if they only knew what I was going through and what I was thinking and I was feeling. But the thing you don't realize so many times is we do know what you feel and we do know what you're thinking because we've been there too. The wares have been there. I remember being there with them through that 10 years ago. And in many ways, that's why we are here. Um, Today, we were supposed to start a new series called Winning, subtitle, How to Win at Life. That was the plan. And as I told you last week, if you were here or if you got to listen, um, I have had a lot happen in my life. I have a friend who's a pastor who had a stroke and lost the ability to speak. Here in our church, we, we had a family who had a baby prematurely at 24 weeks. We've had a lot going on, and I've had a lot happen in my life. And so last week, uh, we had preteen night here, and so I came back to the church last week, and I sat upstairs at my table, and I thought, you know what? I think we probably need to talk about something else. Because as I shared my emotions with you last week and what I'm walking through, many of you, you came to these altars and you came up to me and you DM'd. I got DMs and phone calls and text messages all afternoon last Sunday of things that you're walking through. Things like miscarriages. Things like teen suicide. Heavy, burdensome stuff. Things like divorce. Things that you know aren't going to have a happy ending. And in those moments, it can be hard to come to church. In those moments, it can be hard to know what to do. And so I thought, well, let's um, hit the pause button on talking about winning, since a lot of us don't feel like we are. And let's talk about something else. Let's talk about how do you hold on to God when it appears God is no longer holding on to you. And if you've ever been given a situation or a circumstance in life that has crushed your faith, that has caused you to doubt your faith, that has caused you to doubt that there could ever be a good, good father, and you look at some of those songs that we sang this morning, and you're going, look, I think that's great that you guys believe that. That seems like such a happy song, but let me tell you, that's not been my experience in my life. That's not how I'm feeling right now. Because I've been crushed by my circumstances. I've been crushed by the situation that I'm walking through right now. And some of you are thinking to yourself, man, I tell you what, Pastor. If I told you my story, and I t- if I told you how I responded, how I reacted, what I said, what I did because of what we were going through, I'm telling you, Pastor, you'd probably be disappointed in me. But here's the truth, the reality of things. is The truth is, is if what happened to you happened to me, I could very well be you because it's human 
to have those thoughts. And it's human to have those feelings. And so if you've ever been there, I want you to know you're not alone. But I also want you to know that you're in the right place. Because we're going to talk about this over the next three weeks. We're going to talk about when you go through circumstances and you look up. Because we all naturally do. Every single one of us, whether we're religious or we're not. There's something innate in every single one of us that when we go through something hard, when we go through something sucky, every single one of us, we look up and it's like the movie Bruce Almighty. It's like we look up and we go, come on, hello, to whom it may concern. Is there anybody up there at all who sees what I'm going through, sees what I'm dealing with, sees what's going on? Can I get, can I get thrown a bone here? I don't care whether it's karma or it's God or whatever, but can somebody just give me some good news? Just give me something that gives me a sign that there's something a reason to have hope. Give me something to cling to because what I'm walking through right now in my life, in my health, in my marriage, at my school, with my friends, I just feel completely alone. And we don't want you to feel alone. We want you to know that we're walking through it too and we're here for it. So we're going to talk about that over the next three weeks. And today I want to start with probably the most insensitive sentence you could ever hear. And it actually comes from Jesus. And we're going to talk about something that Jesus said, but he said it with you in mind. One of the most fascinating, incredible things is that thousands of thousands of years ago, Jesus took a bad situation and he orchestrated it in order to speak to you here today. He decided to take a terrible situation and he decided that he was going to use this because he knew that eventually it would get to you so that you could know something about him. Now, it's a story that you probably are familiar with. If you grew up in church or maybe you have a little bit of familiarity with this, you're going to know this story as soon as we jump into it. And you're going to be tempted to jump to the end of the story. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to put yourself in the moment, in the story. Because in this story, there are people who are real. They're not characters. It's not a fairy tale. There are people who went through and felt things that intersect with your life. And so the story that we're going to talk about today is the story of Lazarus. You know, Jesus, when he was walking through this earth, when you look at the Gospels and you have these accounts of Jesus, he's between the age of 30 to 33, and he had friends. He had friends outside the disciples, and he actually had three very, very good friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And a lot of Bible scholars believe that they were so close, they maybe even probably knew each other before Jesus's ministry. But when Jesus's ministry begins, they are super supporters of Jesus. Like every time Jesus is in the town of Bethany where they lived, they hosted him. They were like super hosts, like the greatest Airbnb Jesus could ever stay at. And so they, they hosted meetings and get togethers. They fed the disciples. I mean, they took really, really good care of him and supported Jesus. I mean, anything Jesus asked, they were there for him. When, when, when the public or when the Pharisees tried to attack Jesus or, or attack his reputation, they defended Jesus. And so the day comes when Lazarus becomes very, very, very sick. And Jesus, he's about two days, two days travel away from them, just south of them. And so Mary and Martha, they think, what in the world are we going to do? It appears that Lazarus is so sick that he's going to die. And so they decide they are going to go get Jesus. Because after all, they've seen Jesus heal people. And they've seen Jesus heal people for much less. They've seen Jesus heal complete strangers before. And so here they are with their brother dying and they think to themselves, I think it's time to cash in. I mean, I think it's time for us to ask something of Jesus. And we know Jesus can do this. We've seen him do it. 
And for as much as we've done with Jesus, I mean, you and I, we would probably say they had probably earned the right to ask Jesus this. So they send a servant to go and get Jesus. And, and, and when the servant comes, he doesn't even have to say Lazarus's name. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, the one whom you love is dying. The one whom you love. Translation, your best friend. Your best friend is dying. And Mary and Martha, your dear friends, they're like sisters to you. They need your help. So the disciples, they, they figure, well, of course we'll go. We know how much they mean to Jesus. And so they get up and they are, they're about to leave. And Jesus goes, sit down. Sit down. We are not going. <laughs> and this is <clears throat> completely surprising to them. They can't believe it. But Jesus says, sit down to them. Sit down. We are not going. And so the servant goes back and Lazarus dies. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus let his best friend die. How terrible, how insensitive. As a matter of fact, it seems so terrible and so insensitive that when John writes his gospel, and again, he was there for all of it. When John writes his gospel, he assumes that the reader is going to think that Jesus is angry at Lazarus or punishing Lazarus. And so John writes a note. He goes, by the way, Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He has to write that in there because he's going to assume that the people think that he's angry with them. He goes, let me tell you something. Just so you know, he loved them so, so very much. And then once Lazarus has died, Jesus says, all right, let's go. And, and, And the disciples are not aware that Lazarus is dead. Only Jesus knows this. And so they're camping out again, two days travel away. And, and, and the disciples are like, mm, Jesus, wait just a minute. And so this is, this is what they say. They say, rabbi, which means teacher, teacher, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And, and yet you are going back. See again, self-preservation. Their first concern is, uh, but they are trying to kill us there. Let's not go. Hey, Jesus, Why don't you do one of those things we've seen you do before? Why don't you do one of those stay-at-home miracles? You know, we've seen you do that before where you just spoke it and it happened. Why don't you do that so we don't die today? You know, let's not go there and get in a big thing or anything like that. Why don't you just do one of them stay-at-home miracles? And Jesus, he, he responds and he says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And the disciples go, oh, he's asleep? Well, Jesus, naps are a great way to recover from COVID. I mean, I think that you should just let him sleep this off. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what they say. Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. You know, let let him sleep. Let's not go wake him up. Why don't we just Uber eat some Gatorade to him? You know what I mean? Like, let's send him some Gatorade and some crackers, and I'm sure that he will recover and get better. And then Jesus, he speaks plainly to them. Because, again, this is the disciples all the time. Just Jesus said stuff, and it just flies right over the head. And he says this, Lazarus is dead. And right then and there, the disciples are shocked and silent. Because they know What just happened? They sent his friend. They sent a servant to come and get him so that he would save his friend. And he chose not to. He stayed exactly where he was and he let his friend die. I can't believe that he would do that. When he could have done something. When he should have done something. And he says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, and here comes the insensitive comment that Jesus made. Jesus says, 
And I am glad I was not there. Wow. Can you believe it? Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there to save my friend. I mean, you could even take that as, I'm glad Lazarus is dead. I mean, how terrible, how awful that even just sounds to hear. But what he says next is so very important. And here's the thing, what he says next, what Jesus was trying to orchestrate, what he, he was taking a bad situation and he decided to use it. And the reason he decided to use this involves you. Because when Jesus chose what Jesus was going to do, he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. And he was thinking of all the other people who would go through difficult situations that they didn't ask for. And he says, I'm glad I was not there. So that. So that what? So that you may believe. Believe what? Believe what? How, how could you, you let a death happen? A, a, not just any death, an emotional death. A death of one of your followers. A death of one of your friends. You're telling me that you are glad that this is happening because now it gives you some kind of opportunity for some kind of teaching lesson so that we may believe. I mean, Jesus, what is so important? What is so important for them to believe? But here's the thing. When Jesus says, so that you may believe, he's not just speaking to the disciples. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. And he's talking about what he knew you would go through and what you would go through and what you would go through and what you would go through. What, go through. what is so important that we need to believe? And the answer to the what is so important is who. Who is so important? And here's the thing. Who is you? You are important enough. For him to stop and to orchestrate this, you were important enough to let this happen. And Morgan and Greg were important enough to let this happen. And Kyle and Kyle's family were important enough to let this happen. And the wares and what Kate Talley went through 10 years ago was important enough to let this happen. See, in this moment, Jesus uses this terrible situation. He uses this to address our where is God when we need God's situations. Because Jesus in his genius and in his all-knowing, he knew that in the future that there would be people who would walk through situations and walk through seasons of life, given situations where the circumstances would crush their faith, crush their hope, crush their peace, crush their joy. And that they would look up and go, where in the world is God? So he takes this terrible situation and he decides to use it so that you and me would believe something that we'll get to in a moment. So that we would believe something so that when we walk through situations in life and we ask ourselves, where is God when I need him? Where is God because my sister needs him? Where is God when my husband, my wife needed them? Where is God when my kids needed him? Where is God in this world? Where is God for these kids? Where is God in our, in, in what is happening around us through, in, in my, with my coworkers, with my friends? Where are you, God? We would have an answer and we would know that we can look up and know that God is aware and that God cares. So you know what happens next? Jesus says, all right, let's go. 
And Timothy says, well, let us follow him so that we may die with him. And says, all right, let's go. And so they take off and they travel two days. And then we get to where Martha and Mary were. They had already had the funeral. They were grieving. Lazarus was already put in a tomb. And there had been so many people from Jerusalem because Lazarus had a great reputation. People from uh, Jerusalem had traveled to Martha and Mary's home to grieve with him. So there's a huge crowd of people and they're mourning. And Mary's mourning and Martha's mourning. So there's a huge group of people there. And then a servant comes and says, the rabbi, the teacher is close. He's traveled here and he's here. So now four days have passed. Four days have passed since Lazarus has died. And Mary and Martha, they do exactly what you and I would do. They don't wait for Jesus to get to the door. Oh, they got some things to say. And they run out to meet Jesus before he can come and knock on the door, before he's welcome. In front of all of these people, they run out the door and Mary beelines it for Jesus. And Mary is thinking exactly what you and I would be thinking in the moment, what you and I think so many times. What in the world is your problem? I believed in you. I trusted you. You are my friend. I did so much for you. Anything you ever asked of me, I did. I never complained. I was always there. And I asked one thing of you. One thing of you. This was not a big ask. This is something I've seen you do a million times. And you chose not to. And here's what's about to happen in this moment. In this moment, as Mary and Martha unload their emotions and their feelings on Jesus. Jesus is about to affirm Our emotions that we've had, our anger, our frustration, our doubt, our sadness. And here's the incredible thing. He is about to affirm our affirmations with no condemnation. So Mary and Martha, they run out to meet Jesus and they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me translate that for you as a pastor. This is your fault. You did this. Or if you had been here, you could have done something about it. So this is your fault. And in this moment, the Bible doesn't seem like a fairy tale, does it? In this moment, whether you believe it or not, you can see yourself in the story because you have felt what Mary and Martha have felt. Or let me tell you something, one day you will. And you have been there and you have felt that. And it's in that moment that your story intersects with Mary and Martha's story. It's where my story intersects with Mary and Martha's story. Those moments where we've been frustrated and we've been angry at God. And if we, if we had the courage or we felt like we wouldn't be smited for it, I mean, we would tell God how much we feel like he sucks sometimes. And so Mary and Martha, they run out and they give it to Jesus. And Jesus, he says that when he saw her weeping, the Jews had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And so then he goes and he tells them, take me, take me to the tomb. And they take him to the tomb everyone is very, very quiet and they take him to the tomb. And this tomb is, is almost like a cave 
it's a structure that's made. It's, you know, sometimes in our kids' Bible, we get it so confused. It wasn't like a little hole with a little perfect circle rock that was, you know, could be easily rolled away. But it's this tomb, and it was set up and designed to never be opened ever again. And here they are, a crowd of people wailing and weeping and mourning, and Martha and Mary with their fists balled up, angry, sad, disappointment, grieving, everything all at once. And then the verse that you probably could see coming a mile away comes up. And here's the thing. In this moment, we talked about, you know, how the Bible was put together over this last series. And here's what you may or may not know. When the Bible was written, when these people wrote their stories, there were no verses to this thing. The the verses that you find in your Bible, they were put in hundreds of years later. When the Bible actually started to be copied and printed, they wanted you to easily be able to reference things. And so whomever it was, hundreds of years later, when they got their hands on John's letter and they had to organize John's letter, they got to what happened next. And these next two lines, they said, man, that is so impactful. This is so important. These next two words deserve their own verse. These two words get their very own number because this is vital and important and they were so moved by the story that they decided that this short short sentence would get its own verse and then as he's standing in front of the tomb jesus wept jesus mourned now again we're not very familiar with culture back then or culture over there You guys see me cry on a daily basis, okay? This was not normal. Men didn't cry back then. Men didn't cry in this culture, in this context. But Jesus, in front of all of these people, he weeps so loud, he grieves so hard that everybody sees it. Everybody recognizes it. The disciples were standing right there. John, when he wrote it down, he could tell you, I was right there. All of a sudden, Jesus wept out loud, and it was an emotional, physical, it was unbelievable. We didn't know what was happening. And here's the thing. Why did Jesus weep? Because Lazarus was dead? No. I mean, remember when he talked about Lazarus, he said, Lazarus is just asleep. He knew how the story was going to end. He wasn't sad because of what happened to Lazarus. Do you know why Jesus wept? Jesus wept because he entered into the pain that Mary and Martha were feeling in that very moment. He looked at Mary and Martha and all of the people and he saw their tears. He saw their anger. He saw their frustration. He saw their disappointment. And he chose in that moment to weep with them. He was so moved that he entered into their pain with them. And here's the thing. All of this took place, all of this emotion, all of this drama took place and was orchestrated because he had you in mind. Because he knew there would be a day that would come where you would weep and you would be emotional and you would be frustrated and you would be angry. And he put all of this together with you and me and Kyle and Morgan and Greg and the wares in mind so that we could believe something. Then he turns to everybody and he says, take away the stone, take away the stone. And everybody freaks out. I mean, this was super insensitive. 
What in the world? Why? Why, Jesus? What, do you want to look at the body? They, they step up, and Martha goes, no, 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 no. There ain't no looking at the body. She says even to him, he says, uh, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Translation, no, don't open that thing. He's been in there four days. He's not even recognizable. It, you, you're kidding me? I've just put my brother in the grave, and now you want to get him out? Please, don't embarrass me. Don't, don't do this to me. This is, this is terrible. Please, Jesus, don't do this. You're taking it too far. And there was a huge, huge talk among the crowd. Because at this point, half of the crowd is split. Half of them see Jesus' compassion and believe that he really means it. The other half is going, what are your tears? Don't cry. You made this happen. This is your problem. This is your fault. And now you want to open up the grave? Like, what? could you make this any worse, Jesus? And he tells them, take away the front of the grave. Move that stone. And so they, they take away the stone. And Jesus, Jesus looked up. And by the way, this was not like your kids' cartoons where, again, somebody just rolled a little circle thing away. This would take at least an hour. This grave was put together so that it would never be opened again. So as these men and women are working on this and opening up this grave, probably for over an hour, Jesus decides to pray. And he prays so loud and so audibly that everybody can hear him. The crowd can hear him. The disciples can hear him. John's like, hey, I remember it. This was an emotional moment. I can tell you exactly what he said. And Jesus looked up and he prayed. And he said, go go back. Let me finish that last verse. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then he says this next. He says, and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people Standing here. And you know what? He said this out loud and he put all this together and he let this happen for the benefit of you who are listening here and the benefit of those who are listening there. And then he says this, that they may believe. And again, here we are. Here's why this whole thing was orchestrated. Here's why this whole thing was allowed to happen. And God, Jesus decided to use this. But what in the world is so important that he wanted us to believe? What did you want us to believe, Jesus? And he says this, that you may believe that you sent me. Really? That's it? You you did all of this, you let all of this happen so that we would believe that you are the son of God, that you are the son sent from the father. Yes. How does that help us, Jesus? Like in any way, shape or form, how does it happen? Like you've said it so many times that you are the son sent from the father and that the son is like the father. How does that help us? And I'll tell you exactly why. Because... If the Father sent the Son to show us what the Father is like, then you can rest assured that the Father weeps with you in the middle of your pain. See, Jesus wanted you to know that the Old Testament, that the old stories, the stories about God and where God is, things like Job and all of that type of stuff. He said, that stuff is just a shadow of the reality, but I have come to show you what the Father is actually like. I have come to give you the explanation of what your Father is like. 
And so I wanted you to know and I want you to believe that I am truly sent from him. So that when you go through difficult stuff, when you go through painful things, when you are in those moments where you look up and you wonder if anybody has you, if anybody cares, if anybody is walking through this with you, he wanted you to know I am with you every step of the way. That God is not distant That God, who is king, does not sit up in his throne and look down on you unsympathetically, not caring at all. He wants you to know that God, in all of his vastness and wisdom, has the ability to look down and see you at an individual level. And when you weep, he weeps with you. When you are angry, he sees it. When you are frustrated, he sees it. And he does not fault you for it. And he does not condemn you for it. He is here with you through it. And he wants you to know it's okay. He weeps, not just because of what has happened, but because of what is happening in you. And in your sadness, in your anxiety, in your frustration, in your emotion. He knows the end of the story. He knows how things are going to work out. But he weeps with you and he is here for you. But it doesn't end there because it also gives us a clue of what can and will happen. Because here's the other thing. If the father, if the father sent the son, he sends the son to demonstrate what the father can and will do. And that's exactly what he does. Because as he tells them to remove the stone, he puts on an example for every single one of us. Puts on a clinic of what the end for each of us is going to look like. And so he says, next he says to them, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And as the entire crowd is silent and they look into this dark tomb, suddenly they see a body. And it says, John was there. He said, the dead man came out. He said, he doesn't even call him Lazarus. He goes, the dead man. The zombie, whatever he was, he came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off those grave clothes and let him go. Translation, let him live his life because he is alive again. And it says next, it says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Oh, I bet they did. (laughs) Because when you put a man in the grave and his body rots for four days and then he walks out alive and well, you and I would probably believe too. But believe what? They believed that he was the son of God. They believed that he was from the father. And because of that, they could believe that what the son says about the father is true That if the son says that he is the explanation of what the father is like, then they could change their idea of what they thought about God. As throughout their Jewish history, God seemed like a mad king who was distant and far away, who did not care, who did not want to have a personal, individual relationship with his children. But now that they saw what they saw, they believed that he was good. And that he could be trusted. And that he was worth putting their faith in. And you see, here's the thing. Peter 
way later on, Peter was there for all this. Peter was one of the disciples. He saw all this happen. And when Peter writes one of his letters, Peter writes all this and he said, let me tell you something. He said, if you're going through something hard, if you're going through something difficult, if you're going through a storm in your life and you don't know what to do with it and you're looking up and you're wondering where is God, well, I want you to know you can cast everything on God. You can put it all on him. This is what he says. Peter, he said, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. And that Greek word for anxiety means so much. It's so emotional. It's, it means anger. It means frustration. It means sadness. It, it means, means anxiety and depression. He says, you can take all that you're feeling and you can put it all on God. You know what that means? That means you can come to God and you can curse at him. You can yell at him. You can be honest with him. You don't need a fancy prayer. You can look up and say, man, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're aware of anything going on. This is everything I'm feeling. And I'm upset with you. I'm upset with them. I'm upset with the, the situation. And man, I'm just, I'm really having a hard time trusting you right now because we're going through this. And we, we didn't think we would ever have to. We thought we had somehow earned the right to not have to go through this kind of garbage. Peter says, you can do all of that. You can say all of that. You can give it all to him. And guess what? He doesn't get mad at you. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't judge you. He weeps with you. He walks through that pain with you. And he feels it too. And he is deeply troubled when you are deeply troubled. He loves you that much. And he loves you so much that he orchestrated that situation with Lazarus. So that here today, with what you're walking through, and what I'm walking through, we could know that. And Peter says, you can cast all of your care and anxiety on him because he cares for you. How do you know that, Peter? Because I saw what he did. I saw what he did so that you would believe that the Father sent the Son. And I saw what the Son did so I know what God is really like. And he cares for you. And he loves you. So maybe today, that's what you're walking through. first service. I walked right over here at the end and I said, hey, if anybody needs to pray, come on over. We had a teenager in Wright City commit suicide just yesterday. Went to a Christian private school, went to a youth group in town, athletic kid. Everybody loved him, super popular. And we had a kid in our church walk over to me Tell me about his friend who killed himself. And he said, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to feel. And I don't know why this happened. I've walked through that with some of you. Monday night, I get home from work. I get a text. Somebody texts me. Can I come over? Somebody comes over. They sit at my kitchen table. I make them smash burgers. And we sit at that kitchen table with my wife till 9 o'clock at night. Just talking. 
Because they're going through something. Because they're carrying something. Because they're frustrated. And they're trying to help somebody. And they're trying to save somebody's life that isn't willing to try to save their own. And I've been there. I was there with the wares. At Bonfield's Auditorium, a couple blocks that way, when we were a mobile church, and I remember when Kate Talley walked in, same age as my kid is now, with her head shaved and her head bandaged from the tumor being removed, and we prayed for that little girl. I've been there with Kyle. I've been at the hospital with Morgan and Greg and that little baby, Wesley. I've been there and I've walked with people through it. I've been up in that room, right up those stairs where we've gathered around and we've prayed over children like Noelle Herbert and what she's going through and her health concerns. Unfair situations, terrible circumstances, things that nobody earned and nobody deserved. And all of us have looked up and gone, God, do you see what's going on down here? Hello? But I've watched as those people like the Herberts and the Wares and Kyle and so many others have maintained and leaned on their faith to help them weather the storm. And some of those stories have ended in happy endings like Kate's. When I met that little baby this week, I was so thankful. But let me tell you something else. I've also been there for the stories that didn't have a happy ending. I've been there for the funerals for babies. I've been there for the suicides. I've been there through the divorces. I've been there through the hiccups. I've been there through those two. And some of those people have been able to maintain their faith and they would tell you it was their faith that helped them get through it. And I've watched other people be crushed by their circumstances and lose hope. I want you to know today, I have felt what you have felt. I feel today what you feel. Because sometimes my weeks are full of happy stories and happy text messages and happy emails. And then there are weeks like weeks I am in now where I cry with people at my kitchen table and I have nothing good to say. All I can say is, is I'm sorry. But this week, putting this sermon together, I tell you too, I have spent many times at my kitchen table or at the gym or in my car where I have unloaded on God and I have cursed and I have yelled and I have told God everything I feel. And guess what? He has told me that it is okay. That I can give him that. That I can lay that at his feet. And through that, I have felt comforted by God. And so I want you to know this morning, what you're going through, or maybe one day what you will walk through. Some of you kids in this room, some of you kids, I'm so sorry that you have to walk through this kind of stuff at such an early age. You know what some of this feels like. Others of you, you don't. I know my kids haven't had to walk through some of this yet, and I'm so thankful. 
but one day we all will. And we need to know what we can do with our emotions and our feelings because we're all looking up and we're trying to find hope. And we carry this stuff with us. And sometimes we put a mask on and our family doesn't know. Our, our spouses don't know. Our kids don't know. Our work doesn't know. And we carry it all with us like an invisible weight that nobody can see. I want you to know you don't have to carry it around by yourself can lay it at God's feet. He can handle it. He can take it. And I want you to know he is not as distant as it sometimes feels. He is holding on to you. He has you. He's there for you. He cares for you. He loves you. I know that because of what he did so that you would believe. So that hopefully when you heard the good news, that you would put your faith in him. That you would be able to put your hope and trust in him. And it's through doing that, that's what helps you sleep better at night. That's what gets you to the next day. That's what gives you the courage to try to have a kid again when you've lost a kid. That's what convinces you that it's okay to change your plans and to try something a different way. This is how we keep moving in life. We take the hits and we keep getting up and we keep moving forward. You can do this. You have the strength to do this. You have the resilience and the endurance to do this. But you can't do it by yourself. But with God's help, I know you can. I know I can. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, when we go through stuff in life that's hard, that can crush our faith, it can be really difficult. It can be painful, it can be emotional, it can be a lot. And God, sometimes in our minds, you feel very distant, very far from us. We feel like we have to earn your favor or earn your good grace. And sometimes we feel like we've done everything right and we look up at you and wonder where in the world you are. But God, this morning, I hope that every single one of us feel how close you are to us. How you feel what we're going through. How you, you're with us in the midst of our pain. You're with us in our doubts and you're with us through our questions when we see stuff happen in our life or with friends or with people we care about and our heart breaks, God, your heart breaks with us. And so will you, help, will you help us to know that you are near, that you loved us and that we can believe in you. We can put our faith in you because if, if you're the son sent from the father, we know who you really are. So help us to put our faith in that. In your name we pray. Amen.